0: You're listening to The Casual Mancatter on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. G'day there and welcome to today's edition of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Today we'll be discussing cricket, as is the want of this part of the program. And we can have a look at Australia's bungled tour of Bangladesh and just what the 4-1 result, losing result to Bangladesh in the T20s over there means for Australia going forward, and perhaps what it means for Bangladesh as well. We'll also discuss the amazing game of cricket and how the hell England ever invented the game, given that yet another fascinating cricket match has been washed out by rain. And then we'll have a little look at Afghanistan, who are due to play their first test against Australia at the end of November this year. And we will it go ahead is possibly the first question we have to ask ourselves once again with COVID ravaging, well, the eastern states at least. And if not, is there a way to make this tour a better one? Anyway, all of that and much more coming up on the Casual Mancatter here on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. So as much as I prefer to call T20 cricket entertainment rather than cricket, I highly doubt it was terrifically entertaining stuff, as it turns out over there in Bangladesh. Perhaps it was actually a good thing that no Australian network decided to pick up and show this tournament live, because it would have been horrible viewing, as it was bad enough watching the 10 minute highlights on YouTube every morning. Terrible, terrible cricket. From Australia's point of view, it's a great thing for Bangladesh. Maybe they're making a little bit too much of it. They're going on about, is this their greatest series victory against anybody? A 4-1 series victory in a 20 tournament against what is basically a second 11 for Australia probably isn't the one that you want to be jumping up and down about. However... it was, and moving into the World Cup, that's terrific for Bangladesh. Their spinners did terrifically well, and they managed to score enough runs to keep Australia under pressure all the time. Now, realistically, this should have been 5-0, because there's only one game that Australia actually won, which was the fourth game, and the only reason they won that was because Dan Christian came out at first drop and smashed five sixes in a row, or five sixes in an over, off Shakib Al-Hassan. Now, without that innings, which was 39 off 15 balls, Australia was no hope of making 105 runs to win the game. The next best score was Ashton Agar down the bottom at 27, and then Mitch Marsh 11, and everybody else fell over in single figures anyway. So it was a miracle that Australia actually got up and won that game with an over to spare again, and yet people were jumping up and down saying, oh, good win to Australia. Well, you know what? No. No, it wasn't. But what the series did show is that Australian batsmen are still absolutely incapable of playing spin bowling. Now, the wickets were conducive to spin. The Australian spinners showed that. They also bowled well and did pretty well. But Australian batsmen have had this problem for a long, long time. And even with all the coaching that is now involved in this team, with all the players who have been involved through getting the batsmen into this team and practicing against this stuff, Australia is still incapable of playing spin on the subcontinent. Or probably anywhere, really, but certainly on the subcontinent. They're just unable to grasp how to stay or not get out for a start, but to score runs against them. Now, Christian's innings aside, that was pretty much it. Mitch Marsh again made runs, but no other batsman was able to get out there and... Basically, hold their end up even. Ashton Agar did in that one game too, but that was all they were able to do. So, I know it's only two twenty 20 cricket, but going forward into next year when Australia are playing a couple of series in the subcontinent against Pakistan and then India, they really, really need to find some batsmen who can play spin. And as we said, Bangladesh in their own conditions – they they dominated against the, the second eleven Australian team. But to be honest, and as much as Bangladesh are jumping up and down about this, if the reverse had happened, if Bangladesh had come to Australia and played in Australian conditions with their second best team, it wouldn't have been four-one. It would have been five-zero. So you've got to take that into consideration when you when you look at the results and the way that the team went. I think the main problem with this, given that Australia also lost the 220 series in the West Indies 4-1, is that the players who didn't tour are just absolutely rubbing their hands in glue at the moment, just suggesting, because there's no competition for their places now. Having lost eight of ten 220s going into the World Cup, it'll be interesting to see what the selectors decide to do, because there were questions asked before that West Indies tour by Trevor Holmes and Justin Langer and Aaron Finch about well if the players stand up here and put on a good show then those other players are going to have troubles to get straight back into this team well the problem now is is that they have failed miserably and that pretty much if we're going into a world cup these players who stayed at home are going to probably all going to have to get picked in that team now, whether that's fair or not, especially if they decide to return to the IPL. So if they've decided to miss this tour, but they go to the IPL to finish that off, and then they expect to get picked in the World T20 Cup, as we've said on a couple of these episodes, that seems really unfair. Um, and I know you want to pick your best players to go and play in this tournament, but do those players deserve... to you pick... Now, one person who's different is Manus Lavashain, who's put his hand up all along to be picked, and yet because he was playing in England, the selectors left him there, and they decided not to take him. Well, he would have been pretty handy because he can play spin pretty well. Um, so, but the other guys, and you know, we're talking about Warner, we're talking about Smith, Maxwell, Stoyness, Cummins, um, Daniel Sams, if he's fit. They're all pretty much first choice players and are probably going to make that squad. Again, is that fair on the guys who have gone on this tour and not succeeded? Well, it only took, it would have only taken a little bit for them to get chosen in that team. They didn't have to show much. I mean, you can absolutely guarantee Mitchell Marshall be in that team and he deserves to be because he's scored runs, he's taken wickets, and he's also fielded well. So. He's one who stood up and took his chance, and he will be in that squad. But I can't see any of those other players getting that chance. If nothing else comes out of it, then at least Nathan Ellis has played two games for Australia. He's taken a hat-trick, and he took two for again in the fifth game. So he's taken five wickets in two games. He may never get another T20 game. Now, that would be unfortunate, and I'm not suggesting that's going to be the case. But he's got a few in front of him when they pick their first-choice team. But at least that's a bright light to look upon for the whole tour, that a guy like Nathan Ellis, who two years ago was a great bowler in Sydney, and now suddenly he's played two T20 internationals for Australia. Terrific stuff. Anyway, you have to look at the fact that Australia are not going to get anywhere near these teams in the T20 World Cup, even if they pick these first-choice players. You would expect that India and England and New Zealand are going to be far further ahead than Australia is. And if Australia made the semi-finals, that would be a bonus, I think. the middle stump out of the ground! Mitch Johnson on fire! Well, once again, Rain has completely stuffed up a perfectly good game of cricket in England. As it is wont to do, where is this rain when Australia need help in England? It never bloody turns up. And yet, whenever England are in trouble, guess what turns up? The bloody rain. And then, have the audacity, England saying that it destroyed any chance they had of winning the game. Are you absolutely kidding me? Because India needed, I think, 157 on that last day with nine wickets in hand, Coley hadn't even come out to bat yet. So, honestly, he got a, a golden in the first innings. He wasn't going to do that in the second innings. England have had their cells saved once again. England's batting, again, is the main talking point, I think, for the moment. Uh, and it's going to be their talking point for a long time to come. And there are things they're going to have to look at through this series to improve it and then as to work out once this series is over what they're going to do if they tour Australia for the Ashes. Uh, Joe Root was lauded throughout the land for his work in a test match, and I thought to myself, well, that's terrific. And he did bat well. Let's not get him wrong. He top scored in both innings. He scored 64 in the first innings out of 183, and then he scored 109 in the second innings out of 303. And he was by far the best English batsman. But he had his fair share of luck, that was okay, Um, but they really, certainly the English commentators, they jumped up and down on him and they said, you know, this is the great coming of Joe Root, and I sort of thought to myself, it's the first time he scored a half century, I think someone said 18 innings in test cricket or something like that, so he was definitely due, Uh, so what have they thought he's been doing up until this point? Look, beyond that, yes, terrific innings, good captain's knock, Still batting at four and not at three. He needs to bat at three and lead this team, but he won't because that's just the way he's decided. England's top order, struggling. Rory Burns, a duck in the first innings, 18 in the second. Sibley, you know, 27, uh, sorry, 18 and 28. Uh, Zach Crawley, 27 at number three and then um, made six in the second dig. Their top three is their main problem for England. They're really, really unable to find anyone to bat in those positions and hold down those spots with any degree of success. And I don't think that's going to change for some time. They've got to probably stick with Rory Burns. At least he shows fight. Uh, And not having um, the great all-rounder in the team is unfortunate for them, Ben Stokes, but still he only averages 37 in test cricket with the bat. I mean, people forget that. He's He's not going to be the great white hope forever. I mean, he's not really going to save you many matches at number four. He might win you a couple, as he has against Australia, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Of course, Johnny Bairstow and Joss Butler both came into the team as expected after missing the New Zealand series because they'd been at the IPL, but they failed to light up the show much with the bat either. And Dan Lawrence just looks like he's holding a spot, but who are they? Who else are they going to pick? Because at the moment, all we've got over there is the hundred, so there's no first-class cricket going on. They're in the same position that Australia are during the Big Bash, that no one's getting any decent time in the middle, and you've got to pick guys coming out of white-ball cricket if you're going to pick anyone. Uh, they're in some strife, England, and I think I don't think that top six is going to hold this um, Indian bowling attack at all during this series. Uh, I thought Boomer and Shami were just absolutely fantastic in that first test. Uh, Boomer took four for 46 in the first innings and uh, five for 64 in the second. And Shami took three for 28 and two for 84. So they were the main wicket takers in both those innings. Uh, Muhammad Siraj, sorry, <laughs> get my teeth back in my mouth, and Shardul Thakur uh, did a job. And, of course, Jadeja was chosen as the one spinner. Interesting selection. I think he was chosen more for his batting than his bowling. I get the feeling that Ashwin is going to be uh, more attacking with the ball, more likely to get wickets with the ball. And I, But I think they think that Jadeja is going to continue to score runs. As he did in this test, scored 56 when it was a really tough time when uh, the balance of the lead was uh, up for grabs. And his 56 there, batting at seven gave India that 100 lead that they really needed. So it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Do they stick with uh, Jadeja as the the slogger at seven and the guy who can just bowl a few overs? Or whether they go back to Ashwin and hope that he discovers some batting form that he's had in the past, uh, but will certainly be more attacking with the ball. India's batting, of course, wasn't all it was cracked up to be either. They had a great opening partnership of 97 between Sharma and Rahul. Rahul made 84. A terrific innings, but then Pujara made only four, and this guy only ever scores runs against Australia. It feels like holy dooly, we couldn't get him out for a thousand years, and yet England find a way straight away for four. Coley gets a golden duck, and Rahani gets run out for five. And Risha Pant, well, you know, his party trick didn't work this time, he got out slogging, which is what he's going to do, so it wasn't brilliant from India's batting uh, and they will certainly be looking to improve going forward but i think they will at least their their batting lineup is solid uh, it's secure and you expect that that 3 4 and 5 are going to make runs whereas for england you can't be sure that their 3 4 and 5 are absolutely going to score runs so we go into the second test and it's still nil nil uh, i honestly believe that england can consider themselves extraordinarily lucky now whether they go in with the same sort of attack as they did with this test as well it will be open to question. I don't know that they can continue to go with both Anderson and Broad in their bowling. Now Broad finished with none for 70 in India's first innings and uh, in the second dig, of course, he got the only wicket. But look, they're both getting on and I think we've spoken about this before that by picking both of them all the time you're letting younger blokes sort of sit on the sideline and start to wither away we've seen with australia's bowling their fourth fifth and sixth picks sort of aren't getting any cricket and they're starting to wither away and and without getting enough chances at test cricket these bowlers are just going to you know they're going to leave the game and not not have had their fair shot at it ollie robinson's one of that examples, now he took five for in the first dig, his first five for in a test match. Managed not to say anything uh, off the cuff either as with historical tweets. Sam Curran looked very ordinary. I'm not sure that they'll stick with him. They obviously went with him for the extra batting as well. But England again went in without a spinner, without a recognised spinner. Now, whether they think, Leach or Bess are not up to the job or whatever, if they're their best spinner, they've got to give them a go. Surely you can't keep just throwing these four Sumas at India and hope that that's going to do the job, because I don't think India are going to fall for that. It's not that perhaps Leach or Bess may run through the team and take a lot of wickets, but if they can just hold their end up and just beat them occasionally, they'll have done their job. I don't know what England are going to do going forward in the next test. I don't know whether they're going to bring uh, someone like Mark Wood into the team, uh, maybe to mix it up a little bit. Uh, obviously, last week we heard that Jofra Archer is now going to be out of cricket for the foreseeable future. Certainly won't be touring Australia either. So that's another option gone. And this is where their problem lies if they keep going with Anderson and Broad. They can't bowl forever. You've got to have other guys ready to go. Um I'd be surprised if Broad plays the next test, let's put it that That'll be my prediction, that someone will come in for him. Uh, and I'm not sure that Sam Curran is also the right option. I think perhaps a spinner will come in for him. Knocks him over with pace, real pace, right through the England captain. What a start for the Aussies. As most of you will know, uh, Afghanistan are touring Australia uh, late November to play their first ever test, which was been put off from last season because of COVID and, uh, well, money things, I think, more than anything else. But that uh, test, of course, now is up in the air again, given the COVID situation in Australia again. Now, the test is scheduled to go ahead in Hobart. So given that Tasmania currently has no COVID cases, at the moment that test is, you know, perhaps it's still likely to go ahead. The problem is is that it's coming straight after the T20 World Cup. So all the players from, well, most of Afghanistan's best players and obviously most of Australia's best players will be coming straight from a T20 World Cup from six weeks of it uh, into a test match in Hobart. Now, that's a really poor lead-up for those Afghanistan players. Now, some of the Australian players will, of course, have been playing Sheffield Shield cricket leading up to it, so they will be okay it's a real it's a missed opportunity to give afghanistan a real taste of high quality top level first class cricket in order to improve their game now by that i mean that given there's no other game there's no warm up games there's no other games against australian first class teams why why are we just bringing these guys in for a week and then sending them back home again now It should have been done better and it should be done better. So the opportunity is still there that if we have this COVID problem going through to the end of November and they decide they need to postpone this test again just for a little while, why not just postpone it to the end of February or the start of March next year? Then bring Afghanistan over in January and give them some cricket against state teams leading up in that test match. Now, how do you reckon... Afghanistan would go, wouldn't they love to go and play Western Australia at the Wacker, or play Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval or play Queensland at the Gabba, playing at these iconic grounds that they all probably know about and playing against high-quality first-class opposition that, to be honest, let's be honest, that if the best first-class cricketers are available, they will probably beat Afghanistan. But what a great thing for their cricket, for them to able to play on these terrific grounds against terrific players to improve their own cricket instead of just flying them in, letting them play against Australia for a test match that may go three days or four days or five days, and then fly back out again. There's no intrinsic value to that tour at all for the Afghanistan players. If we want nations to improve at test cricket, we've got to give them more cricket, and there is so much money in the in the ICC, and what they tell you, you know, seriously, is absolute crap. They must have millions and millions of dollars. Money's not an issue. Getting these teams out here and giving them the opportunity to play cricket for a good month or five weeks would be a much better idea than just flying in here for a test match and then going home or going wherever they're going to go to another white ball tournament. Cricket right now needs other nations to improve their test cricket and become better test nations. And that's true of the West Indies who have been there, but have fallen down in recent years. But it's also true of Bangladesh. It's true of Zimbabwe. And it's certainly true of Afghanistan and Ireland. We need these teams playing test cricket and improving test cricket. Because if it's just going to be Australia against India and England for the rest of our lives you're damn well going to get bored of that. And we want to be able to play... We, Of course, Australia likes to win, and we like to see Australia win. But what wouldn't you give to see Australia playing Ireland in Ireland as well, for a start, but in a test match and seeing Ireland stick it to Australia and, and you know, and beat Australia? Wouldn't that be great for them? It's not, It'll happen eventually. But, it, I mean, Bangladesh have beaten Australia now in a test match the last time Australia toured over there. So... Zimbabwe have not because we haven't played Zimbabwe in a test for a thousand years. So it's because it's all about money, this is why we don't do it. But there are so many reasons why we should be doing it that would then bring money back into the game by doing it the right way. Now I know this won't happen, but for goodness sakes, let's hope that the next time we have to play Afghanistan, we can bring them to Australia and give them some real cricket. And some real tutelage. Man out at long on, but he needs to be twenty-five seats back. That's it for this week's rant on cricket around the world. That's oh, Australia and T20 cricket. You know what? i I'd, I'd much rather see us not playing T20 cricket internationally. And I know I've said this before, and I'm sure some of you agree and some of you disagree but it's a game that should be just kept at a domestic level and played in these other domestic tournaments and not played at international level but of course the genie's out of the bottle now and there's no chance of getting it back in let's just send over the winners of the BBL let's send send the Sixers over, they can play in the T20 World Cup, we'll see how that goes Jordan Silk, there's a name already, why isn't he getting a go? Anyway, enough of that crap Bill, um, next week Come back again we'll talk some more cricket. We'll have another test match between England and India to talk about and uh, whatever else happens to pop up in that time. Until then, thank you once again for putting up with my cricket-related crap and I'll hear from you again soon. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.